Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Matthew 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the... angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I must apologise. I have no chocolates this week. I know you're maybe some of you are hoping that every week I'd have chocolates to give out. I'll just keep you on your toes so you won't know when to expect it. But I do have some questions. Who here has a good memory? Do you remember What I unpacked, what we unpacked last week, the three things we looked at in the genealogy. We learned theology through genealogy. Does anyone remember? If you don't, that's okay. So first part we looked at was the three eras. The Jews had this perception of the world as that world was into three eras. And in the final third era, that's when the last days would come. Jesus is that Genesis, the new beginning. So he's part of that. Second part was the four Gentile women. So there's four Gentile women. And that's significant. Points to the fact that Jesus' ancestry, there's no such thing as a biological Israelite. They're those who follow God's commandments. That's who it is. All nations are to receive salvation. The final point was exile. There was one event named in that genealogy, which is exile. And in each of the other two eras, you had first era, Judah and his brothers. The second era, you had Jehoiachin and his brothers. In the third era, there were no brothers. And later on, Matthew unpacks that we are his brothers. In that third era, we are the new Israel, the new covenant made in the blood of Jesus. And just when you thought I'd finish the genealogy, no. Comes up one more time. I didn't want to overwhelm you all. But there is a pattern throughout. If you read the genealogy, it is such and such was the father of da-da-da. And that goes on and on and on. And in Matthew 1.16, the pattern is ruined. It says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, and that says the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, out of whom is called the Messiah. Now, That creates a tension. 
Now, like all good stories, there needs to be a tension, doesn't there? That's all we love about movies, where there's a cliffhanger. And the Bible does that. That's what I love about biblical narratives. There's always tension. And this is a massive tension here. At the beginning of the genealogy, we're told this is the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now we get to the very end, we find out, well, Jacob's the father of Joseph, but Jesus has no father. And so this ancestry in Matthew's genealogy, it is what we call a legal ancestry. It is Jesus, basically Jesus needs to be legally adopted by Joseph to become the son of David. And that's what Matthew 1, 18 to 25 does. It unpacks that, that question. How does Jesus become the son of David? How he, one who does not have a biological earthly father, has that role. And in this narrative, it's very, very well known. We're told here that this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Here's the tension. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now we hear these words every single Christmas, yes? Yes, yes, we know it. We know the story inside out, back to front. That is tension there. Matthew, for if you're pretending this is the first time you have read this, and you think, okay, this is what's going to happen here? We, we know Mary's innocent. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is a righteous man. Now, there's two places in the law or the Torah which spoke about what to do with women who committed adultery. It came from Deuteronomy 22. And basically, it's really intense. Particularly in our culture, it says in Deuteronomy 22, 23, if a girl who is a virgin is engaged to a man and another man comes upon her in the town and has sexual relations with her, you are to bring them both out to the gate of the city and stone them to death. That's intense. That gives you a picture of how Yahweh... The God of the Israelites and the Israelites themselves saw marriage. This was a sacred, sacred bond. And despite Mary and Joseph only being engaged, in the eyes of the society around them, they were as good as married. And the fact here in this tight-knit little community is this rumour of Mary, she's pregnant. And people start putting two and two together. And it's really interesting. If you read the parallel account in Luke, Mary actually goes away to a cousin Elizabeth for a while. Perhaps some of that's to take the heat away. Because this is a first century village life. Everyone knew everyone's business. In fact, it's hinted in the, the Gospel of Mark. They say, is not this the carpenter? Is not this the son of Mary? We know his brothers, James and what does it say? James, um, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And that reference, isn't this Mary's son? 
This implies that people had this sense of suspicion about them. Ah, there's something dodgy about this woman. Unless you get a divine revelation, you assume she is an adulteress. And what's the law say? Death. Stoning. That's the cost it took for Mary to bear Jesus. And so here's Joseph, caught in a rock and a hard place because he's, fa- he's faithful to the law, but he has mercy. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph's thinking, well, okay, I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. So what I'll do is I'll gather two or three elders and there I will hand to Mary the certificate of divorce. She and her new man can live their life together and I can pick up the pieces. But this is where God intervenes in that tension. Verse 20, but after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived is her, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. It's amazing. Again, we hear it every year. Yeah, yeah, the angel appeared to Jesus. We know he spoke and Mary took it. Isn't that nice? It's phenomenal. This, if you, again, let's pretend we're reading this for the first time. We're like, wow. If Joseph legally hadn't accepted Mary and by extension her son, Jesus couldn't have the legal title son of David. And son of David in that world, that was a sign of the Messiah, to be called son of David. In fact, Joseph here is the the only other person to be called son of David in the Gospels. It's a title for Jesus. This is a title for the Messiah. This shows you the amazing risk that God took out in order to send his son. Every year I reflect on this, it blows me away. Why would God use these people? To this, he could have just magically came down to earth and just gone, I am Jesus, I am here to save you all. Yet he uses people. Sometimes he has to intervene miraculously in order for his plans to come to fulfillment. It's interesting there, the angel tells him, do not be afraid. There's going to be social stigma. There's going to be suspicions about you. For by Joseph marrying a woman who was considered to be an adulteress, he's condoning that adultery. Think about what Deuteronomy 22 said. You know what you did to the woman and the man? Took them outside the city gates and you stoned them. That's intense. Really, really intense. And while as Christians particularly, we read those passages and think, oh, that's horrifically violent, and is horrifically violent, should make us become aware of just the consequences of sin. The ramifications that the wages of sin is death, writes the Apostle Paul. And we sort of notice, yeah, 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 sin's terrible, we shouldn't do it. What the Old Testament does exposes that for just how horrendous it is. 
That's the risk Mary had. That's the risk Joseph bore in becoming Mary's husband. Married to an adulteress? There's, there's this really cool video on YouTube. It's like a social media Christmas and it has like the characters of the Bible if they were presented in the world of Facebook and they have the status updates. And they said, oh, and Joseph's comment after he finds about a dream, I had a dream, an angel, Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And one of the comments is like, sure she is, dot, dot, dot. Sure there was a lot of that going on. Joseph, a man who is righteous and faithful to the law, he bears some disgrace. He's willing to ruin his reputation in order for greater purposes. And then we're told all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God. God with us. Well, now we have to jump back to the Old Testament because one of the things we read that, we think, oh, Isaiah 7, 14, oh, yeah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Now, what's yes, that's very, very true. But what's interesting is we need to know the context of Isaiah chapter 7. If you have a Bible, you should flick it open there to Isaiah 7. I encourage you to read Isaiah 7 and chapter 8, I'll give you this great picture, image of what God was doing at that time. But uh, how much time we got? Ten minutes. Well, do it in two minutes. The geopolitical conflict of 8th century Palestine in the ancient Near East. Basically, it boiled down to after King Solomon's son Rehoboam, there was a big split. You had the tribes of Judah and the ten tribes of Israel. Yes, we know this stuff. We're kind of familiar with it. Okay, so at the time there is a king called Ahaz. He is the, a descendant of King David. He is ruling in Jerusalem. Now there is a big bad superpower in the 8th century by the name of Assyria. Now, you know the prophet Jonah goes to Nineveh? That was the capital. Oh, hi, buddy. I love this. So good. love having kids running around. It's fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, anyway, there's a prophet Jonah. He goes to the city of Nineveh. That's the capital of Assyria. Assyria, if you were captured by the Assyrians, they would shove hooks in your mouth, skin people alive. They were known for their brutality. Okay? So you've got big bad power, Assyria. Now you've got the king of Judah, a guy called Ahaz. He is a wicked, wicked king. Now he is partnered in with Assyria. He wants them for protection. Now you've got the king of Israel and a king from, a, this gets confusing, Syria. So you've got Assyria and Syria. Anyway, you've got these two kings, the king from Israel and the king from Syria, and they don't like Assyria. And so they decide, we're going to invade Judah and Jerusalem because of your alliance with Assyria. Okay. Sounds confusing. You look blank face, but anyway, point of the story is Ahaz, he's a king in Jerusalem. He's about to get invaded. That's what it boils down to. Anyway, one day Ahaz is out there getting ready for the, the siege that's probably going to happen. And the prophet Isaiah comes up to him and he says, hey, ask God for a sign. You, you are, despite your wickedness, you are a son of David. And God's promise to David is that David always has someone to rule on his throne. 
And Ahaz goes, oh, no, 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 I, I can't do that. I can't ask for a sign. I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah said, this is from verse 13, it says, I said, hear now you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Right, so we're really familiar with that part. In verse 15, he'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. There was a real boy called Emmanuel born in the 8th century BC. And what Isaiah says before this boy... It's about the age of two or three before he knows right or wrong. These kings that you're terrified of, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be gone. They're going to be destroyed. In fact, Isaiah uses children and the names of children as signs of hope. And then you get to chapter 8, and in chapter, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18, it says here, Here I am, and the children the Lord has given me We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells in Mount Zion. Zion, he refers to three different children. All these children, they're signs that God is going to come through on his promises. Now let's jump forward some 800 years to Jesus. When Matthew is reflecting on the birth of Jesus, he says, wait a minute. As I spoke about a virgin, a woman who had not yet been married, And she had a child called Emmanuel, which means God with us. But now the true virgin and the true Emmanuel is here. As I wasn't just prophesying about Mary giving birth to Jesus, he was prophesying about something that happened in his day, but something much deeper. God himself would dwell with his people in the midst of heartache. In the midst of an evil world, the birth of a child, it was a sign that, yeah, these two fearsome kings were coming to destroy your city. But guess what? You see that child there, Emmanuel? He's a sign in a couple of years' time. They're not going to destroy your city. And for us as Christians, as we reflect on the Christmas story, and if you read along, what nearly happens to Jesus? Who tries to kill him? Isn't that interesting? What happens to the baby boys in Bethlehem? To and under. They're killed. Jesus was born in a cruel, cruel, dark world. Where a king could just say, I am so terrified of this potential king of the Jews. Wipe out all the boys in that city. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a sign of hope in the midst of darkness. There's people living in Ahaz's time. When you've got two armies coming down upon your city, destroying your country, you think this is the end. And it's not. And we come here to the Christmas narrative. There's so much packed in here. Start to see. See, Joseph willing to give up his reputation to legally adopt Jesus as his son. We also see, by extension, Mary herself willing to be stoned in order to be the mother 
of her saviour. See here, the birth of this child, it's a sign of hope of God's presence in the midst of a broken world. Friends, that's what the gospel is all about. It calls us to give up our lives. What do you say? Anyone who wants to be my disciple, what must they do? Does anyone know? What do you have to do? Take up your cross. Again, we're very familiar with those words. Take out your cross. The Romans wouldn't crucify Roman citizens. It was so degrading and shameful. Yet Jesus is like, hey, you want to be my disciple? You must pick up the instrument that is seen as the most degrading thing in our society. So call it. This is a radical king. And we need to be radical citizens of that kingdom. I love about the Christmas narrative. It's phenomenal. God gives us a picture of what his kingdom is meant to look like. A radical picture of obedience. A radical picture of something that it seems like, oh, this terrifying. There's armies surrounding us, horrible, deep, dark things in our world. Yet there is light in the midst of that. Emmanuel is with us. And that's what's so wonderful about Mark. How does Jesus end? And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As Murray prayed, he referred to the Solomon Islands. And you just have to turn on the news and look around us. The world is a broken, dark place. We need Emmanuel. And do you know how the world is going to know more about Emmanuel? It needs more Josephs and more Marys. People who say, I'm not going to be afraid to be ostracized. I'm not going to be afraid to have my reputation tarnished because I see the bigger picture of what God is doing. Friends, that's the call on our lives. That's what Christmas is about. As we all know, it's better to what than to receive? Better to give than to receive. Or it's better to offer sacrifice. It's better to offer our lives as a living sacrifice than to live selfishly. Let me pray for us. Lord, as just seeing your word, just how immense and deep it is. There's so much packed in there. And Lord, as we just see the example of Joseph willing to give up his reputation in order to become the legal adoptive father of Jesus. We see in that the image of him being Emmanuel, God with us, a sign in the midst of darkness and brokenness in this world. And Lord, I pray that we can be people who are like Joseph, who are able to listen to you or to go against the grain of the crowd and follow you for a higher purpose. And say, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon us as we go out to share a world that needs to know about Emmanuel, God with us. Pray for your spirit's help in doing this. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.